as well. Let me read this for us. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. And we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, direct our way to you And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. We were on vacation a while back uh, in an undisclosed location, I will say, Um, and we we went to a, a church one of the things that we try to do when we're on vacation is to go to other churches. Uh, that's kind of just a conviction that we have. There's really two main reasons for that. Uh, the first one being I'm a pastor, and so I very rarely get to sit in the pew, so to speak. But mostly it's that we, we want our kids uh, to not experience church as something that, is, that we need a break from, right? It actually is our break. It is our life and our rest and our worship. And so we, we make it a point. This is not legalistically telling you you have to do this as well, but this is our conviction that we go to churches. And so we were on vacation. I went to uh, this church. We found this small church. And, um, you know, we were, we were the only visitors. Uh, we were uh, in a place of about 50 people, maybe. Uh, we stuck out with our family of five. And um, it was a very sweet church, great experience. And afterwards, they were having a church barbecue. And they invited us to come to this barbecue. So we looked at each other and said, well, we've got to eat lunch anyway, so we might as well go eat lunch uh, with these folks that we've just met. And so we get the directions, put in the GPS, find out it's 45 minutes away, like deep in the country. And so we decide, well, we've already committed, so let's go do it. So we drive 45 minutes out. We lose cell phone service. You know, this is like in the country completely. Um, we show up, there's about 20 people that we've never known, uh, never met before, 
And um, we start eating their barbecue, all right? And it's, it's going well. Then this guy uh, gets up, one of the members of the church, he gets up, and he's going to be the afternoon entertainment. Um, and so he sets up his keyboard and an amp, and uh, he starts playing songs that he's written to the tune of American rock songs, but with lyrics about Star Trek. <laughs> and he's got a whole set um, for us, and so we're listening to this. Again, 20 people I've, I've never met before, and I just had this, this moment. I felt like I was in a quirky TV show of some kind, um, but I just had this moment. I'm sitting here with 20 people I don't know, deep in the country. I have no cell phone service. I'm listening to a Star Trek version of American Pie. Um, I'm eating someone's homemade potato salad. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, I had this moment where I'm thinking, I love this. I love it. This is amazing. Uh, Even with its quirks, even with the funny things, even with the awkwardness, this is a beautiful community, and I am part of this community everywhere that I go. When we look at this passage, when Paul's talking about his love for the Thessalonians, I want us to look at the way that he speaks about them. Let me just ask you, without you looking at it, if I were to ask you this as a Christian, these three questions. What is your hope? What is your hope? Some of you might know the, the right answer to say. Jesus is, is my, my hope. If I ask you, what is your joy? What, what, what brings you a great joy? Maybe you answer with a spiritual, you know, the spiritual answer, well, God, God brings me joy. What is your crown of righteousness? If I were to say, where does your righteousness come from? Where are you recognized as righteous? You, you might give me the theologically correct answer, which is to say, my righteousness comes from Christ alone. But interestingly, and those, those are right answers, by the way, those are correct answers, but Paul says something different in verse 19. Look what he says. For what is our joy, our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Amazing. Do we have categories for this? That Paul, when he thinks about the Thessalonians and their love of Christ and the church that was created there, remember, he only was there for three weeks. And yet, in absence from them, he looks back and he says, you are my hope, my joy, and my crown of boasting. I love you. Do we have categories for loving the church the way that Paul does here? Many of us love to take a a hammer to the church. We love to hate on the church. It's very common, of course, outside uh, of the church walls to, to hate on the church. It's becoming increasingly common inside the walls of the church to hate on the people of God. I, I think I've lost count of how many Christians quote Mahatma Gandhi uh, when they say, when he said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. 
Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And, you know, I think that resonates with people. Well, because we're all sinners and we know that we are not like Christ and we know there's a lot of baggage there. But I'm going to ask us to stop quoting Gandhi on, on, a, on a love or not love for the church. Because the scriptures are very clear about this. In 1 John chapter 4, we can't have that attitude. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We cannot love Christ and not love Christians. Because Christians are united to Christ. Now, I recognize that not everyone's experience of church is backyard Star Trek songs. And that may not be your thing anyway. I loved it. But like, you're like, that sounds like, you know, horrible to experience that. But I recognize that not everybody has a positive experience of the church. I recognize that because that's not my experience either. Going on, coming up on 10 years of ordained ministry. They have 10 years before that of volunteer, part-time, leadership, staff. 20 years working closely the leadership of, of church. Lots of different churches. Some healthy, some really not healthy. I've seen how the sausage is made, as they say, there is a world where there is a lot of hurt and deep pain in church. We recognize that. By the way, Paul recognized that as well. Someone who was, you know, made to feel very suspicious for his past life, very much had bad experiences in a lot of different places, very much lost friends. Demas, his good friend, left him. I mean, he had a struggle with the church, but he can still come back and he still says, but these people of God, and it's not just here, he expresses his love in every single book of the New Testament for the people of God. How do we love the church of God, especially if, It has been hurtful to us or painful part of our past and when it is disappointing. How can we see what Paul sees? How can we see what God sees when Israel continues to leave him and continues to walk away from him and to rail against him and yet he still says things in the Old Covenant about, but you're my special people. You are for my own possession. I love you. I will sing over you, exult over you with songs. Zephaniah says he has this great love for his church. Here's the question. How do we cultivate a deep love and affection for God's church, regardless of what our experience with it has been? And I know there have been many experiences. There's three things I want to draw out from Paul's discussion here that will help us increase our affection for God's people. The first is this, presence. Presence amongst God's people increases the love of God's people. You see that what Paul longs for the most is to be with the Thessalonians. He uses very dramatic language. Look at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, the word torn away there is literally the word orphaned. And remember, Paul has said, we were infants among you. We were like nursing mothers. We were like fathers. We were like a father among you. This is a family relationship. He says, since 
we are, have become orphans from each other. It's so emotional to be separated from God's people is to be like separated from your family, he says here. He continues with the strong language for a short time in person, not in heart. So I'm not separated from you in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. The great desire there, when it's translated elsewhere in the New Testament, is the word for lust. I lust to be with you. I, sh- I have such a strong passion to see you face to face. Twice in the passage, he uses that phrase at the beginning here and then at the end, face to face. He's touching on a deep theme in the scriptures here when he talks about the face of the people of God and the face of God himself. Jacob was someone who wrestled with God in the Old Testament, and it said that he saw the face of God when he wrestled with him. I've seen him face to face. Moses was someone who spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend, Deuteronomy tells us. We are made with a desire to see God's face. And in the New Testament, as the story unfolding, we can't go into this, there's so much here. The face of God is seen in Jesus Christ. It's revealed in Him, and we see, and the emphasis there is on His humanity, that He had a face like ours, and when we see His face, we see God's face. And then what Jesus teaches us is that when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And when you see the least of these, or serve the least of these, you serve me. And so we see that the face of God is seen in Jesus Christ and also in all those who follow him. In a sense, what we do as the church is we give witness to one another. We see each other's faces, and, and in doing so, we recognize our humanity and our shared life together in God. And so part of why Paul is so discouraged in this book is he wants to see the people of God face to face. I want to be with you. All these people are saying things about me. They're, they're, they're manipulating you, and I just wish that I could be with you. But he actually translates it into a spiritual battle. He says, look, Satan hindered us. Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Hindered means to cut something into the middle of a road, to make a road impassable. And we don't know what happened here since he sends Timothy so it's not as though the physical roads are, are in a place where you can't pass to see the people of God. Perhaps Paul is sick, probably physically ill, and so he can't travel. Satan hinders him. And he translates that into a spiritual reality. One of Satan's strategies, in other words, is to keep the people of God from being together. We need to see that being in each other's presence is one of the ways that we grow in love. And this is obviously what the world and our churches are healing from at this very 
moments. Over the last couple of years, when we were forced to be apart, we created, many of us, habits of seclusion, of being away from one another. And some of us are having a hard time re-engaging with that, having a hard time. It's just exhausting to be with people. I understand that. I experience that. It's hard to be with people when we've grown accustomed to not being with people. But this is the way that we grow in love for one another. It is through presence. Presence matters. Face-to-face matters for the Christian walk. We do a live stream. Welcome everybody on the live stream. We have sermons online. I think it's great when you're sick, when you're out of town, for supplementing, whatever it may be. But nothing should replace the face-to-face life with God's people. This is what we are designed for. And digital church is not enough. It's not enough. Presence heals relationships. What about those that you have a strained relationship with? Let me put a huge bracket here and say, I am not talking about those with whom you have such a painful or abusive relationship in the past. That is a different thing. Let's talk about that thing, if that's part of your story. We're not, I'm not saying that you have to be present with everyone all the time, no matter what has happened in the past. But let me just ask you this. Have you been, ever been mad at someone or frustrated or upset or confused by them and then spending time with them, suddenly everything was cool? What is that magic, <laughs> right? It's called presence. And the reality is when we get separated from each other, we get less loving. We need presence. Paul did not have it and yet he missed it. That's what his point is here. It's been so long since I've been with you, and it was such a short time to begin with, but I want you to know that the presence, my presence matters to me to be with you. It's not as though I was passing through, and I just care about the next town, and the next town, and the next town. I care about you. You are my crown. You are my boasting. You are my hope. I love to see God at work in you, and I long to be with you. Presence will help us with love. Secondly, concern. When we concern ourselves with God's people, we actually grow in love. And Paul concerns himself with the spiritual well-being of this church in Thessalonica. He's concerned for two things. First of all, that they still have faith. And secondly, that they're growing in love. That they still have faith. He's concerned about their faith. Why would he be? Why wouldn't they have faith? Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 3. It says, That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He is concerned about their faith because of two possible barriers to their faith. Their faith could have been lost in their affliction and by their enemy. 
First is the the affliction. He wanted to make sure that no one has been moved, that is, to be dangling or to be wavering in their faith. We kept telling you that there would be affliction and that you're going to suffer because the gospel has come to you in the midst of much conflict. And we were honest about that. And I'm just checking back in with you because that affliction can move you. It can move you out of faith to be in the midst of affliction. Affliction has the ability to shipwreck faith, but he's also concerned because of their enemy sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He's worried that Satan could be tempting them out of their faith, using perhaps the false teacher's Uh, or those who were accusing Paul of being a false teacher and saying he was only self-focused and that his intentions were bad, and then the enemy using that to draw people away from their faith. He's concerned about their faith, and in in a sense, he echoes here Jesus' teaching uh, about the, the soils. If you remember the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus says, You know, the sower goes out to sow, and he sows the seed, and it falls on four different places. And then there's an interpretation of the parable in Matthew chapter 13, where he tells them what these different soils are. And two of the soils are two of the ones that Paul picks up on here, the rocky ground and the path. The soil that falls on the rocky ground, Jesus interprets his own words, is those who receive the word, and they receive it with joy, and they sprout up but there is no root. And tribulation and persecution come and wither it. Tribulation and persecution. This is the affliction that he talks about. Some of the seed falls on the path. In Jesus' metaphor there, he says that they hear the word and they don't understand. They're hardened ground. and, And they don't understand. And so... The tempter comes. In Matthew's gospel, he is the evil one and snatches up the seed like a bird flying over a path and sees a seed and snatches it up. Paul is echoing a similar concern. He's saying, look, your faith can be lost in the midst of much affliction and it can be lost because the tempter steals it from you. And so he is concerned for them in their faith and also in their love that they would love each other. But he immediately answers that objection, and he says, but I know that you are growing love, and I know that you have faith, because Timothy brought me this report. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. They remember Paul kindly. They think well of him. It hasn't happened that the tempter has come and taken their faith. In fact, they are growing in love. And so Paul recognizes that there's a growing, vibrant community of people who love each other and are concerned with each other. He's so pleased by this. It's amazing. In verse 8, look what he says. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy we feel at your sake before our God? Paul says, I can now live because you are okay. 
His concern, in other words, is real. He has a real concern for the body of Christ. So much so that he needs, to, he needs them to be okay for him to be okay. He cares. His point is this. His love is growing when he concerns himself with the health, well-being, and love of the body of Christ. Some of us may have struggled to love the church because we have not necessarily concerned ourselves with the well-being of God's people in the, in the same way that Paul does here. And it doesn't take very long for us to do this. Remember, Paul knew them for three weeks, and, and yet he holds them so dear to his heart that he would be so concerned about them. He's showing in the way that he speaks and writes to them, yeah, I care. I care about what happens to you. Even though he had no natural connection to them, the gospel had come to them and that had inflamed in him a desire to love them through that concern. When we grow unloving, it's sometimes because we get into our own heads. We live our lives with our heads down. We focus on what we need to do and what needs to be done for our own family and our own lives, our own career. And when that happens, sometimes increasingly other people are more of an annoyance to us than, than a loving presence. The truth is, we grow to love those that we concern ourselves with. Not only do we grow to love those who we spend time with, we grow to love those that we concern ourselves with. When we concern ourselves with people's well-being, we grow to love them. Even if, at first, they are very unlovable to us, it's amazing how this happens. Presence, concern, third and finally, love grows through prayer for others. He cements his love, Paul does, for the church through prayer, the regular intercessory prayer that he has for the church. Look at verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He regularly holds them before the Lord. Again, here Paul is, when he says things like this, night and day, it doesn't mean that every single minute of the night, every single minute of the day, when he says pray without ceasing, same thing. He's saying this is so regular. It could be the night, it could be the day. You're on our minds all the time. What does prayer have to do with loving the church? I had this memory this week um, from childhood when my mom would pray for us and with us at night before bed, and um, my siblings would be around, and we would pray and sing and that kind of thing, and then go to bed. And um, I remember that you know we would often pray very repetitious prayers, as kids often do, as adults often do, as we all often do. Uh, we get you know these words in our heads, and we begin to just pray them regularly, sometimes without even thinking. And I remember. I just had this memory this week of my mom sharing this person that we were praying for. His name was Luther Chambers. And I have no idea who this person is. And I never met him, and I don't even think my mom met him. I think it was a friend of a friend who just said, will you pray for Luther Chambers? And I have no idea who this is. That's a pretty awesome name. I mean, that's strong, right? Luther Chambers. That's amazing. 
But so I pray, so she tells us we need to pray for Luther Chambers. And so we start praying for him, and somehow he gets, he gets in the routine, right? Like he gets in the, in every night, I'm, for two years, we're praying for Luther Chambers. Never met him, don't know him, nothing about him. I think he had cancer or he had some life-threatening disease, and we were praying for him. One night I got curious, and I, I remembered talking to my mom afterwards, and I said, how is Mr. Luther Chambers doing? And, and she said, she, my mom, very delicate Southern woman, she's like, oh, great, you know, he actually passed away a long time ago. And, and so she hadn't shared that with us. We were praying for him every single night, and I remember being devastated. All the siblings, we were crying and stuff. Never met him. Don't know anything about him. Don't know where he lived. Don't, nothing. I just remember that name because I prayed it hundreds of times. Luther Chambers. When we pray, we hold someone in our hearts before God. We're bound to them in love. It doesn't matter if we are the same as them. It doesn't matter if we even know them that well. This is how God works. We cannot help but grow in love for those that we pray for. Paul says, I earnestly pray for you. I may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Desire to be present, a concern for their faith, and then prayer. And I love that Paul then just prays in the middle of his letter. He stops and prays. He does this all the time in his letters. He says, I, I have been praying for you. And then he just starts a prayer, a benedicting kind of prayer, where he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Stops his narrative of his letter and just prays. And what's so remarkable about this prayer is that first of all, he just asks for the things that he's just told them about. May God direct my way to you. He wants to be with them. He mentions concern for their, their faith and their love. But what's so amazing about this prayer is that he shows where the power of growing in love comes from. Verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. The Lord there is Jesus. He's talking about the Lord Jesus, as he just said previously, who is with the Father. By the way, there is just a singular verb there. The Father and Jesus Share the verb, singular, they are the same. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. That's one entity being directed. Paul showing that he knows that the Lord Jesus and God himself are one. But he says that Lord, Lord Jesus, make you increase and abound in love. How do you grow in love for each other? It's impossible without Christ. Paul's mission and all of his love and all of his concern that he has for this church, all of his desire to be with them, that came 
from Christ. Paul wanted nothing to do with the church. Paul persecuted the church. Paul wanted the church to die. Paul wanted to be as far away from the church as he could. And without Christ, he would be a self-righteous, legalistic rabbi Pharisee. But Christ transformed him. And so when he prays, he prays the same thing for the Thessalonians that he himself experienced, that Christ would help them abound in love because Christ is the source of love. And there is no love without Christ because Christ, when he gave himself up for love's sake, not only demonstrated love, but accomplished love for us. And so we can try to be in each other's presence more. We can show some more concern for other people. We can even pray you know, over and over again for other people. But without Christ, it has no power. Christ must indwell us. And when He has taken hold of you, and you have given yourself to Him the way that Paul did, you automatically begin growing in love for the church because it is His body. It's His reflection. It's made in His image. It has His hands and feet. It accomplishes His mission. The church is connected to Christ. And you cannot love Christ without growing in love for the church. And so what we all need more of is not just more discipline. We need more of Christ's love indwelling us. Because that empowers and enables the love that we can have for one another. Let's pray.